Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's Housing Wire Daily episode features an interview with Monique Winston, the Vice President and a National Business Development Executive and Chair Diversity and Inclusion Council member at WFG National Title Insurance Company. In this episode, Winston discusses her work as a nationally renowned minority business advocate. But before we listen, here's a brief word on Housing Wire's newest podcast. Right now, more than ever, the housing industry has been having honest conversations about how race impacts the home buying process. To heighten the discussion, Housing Wire is launching Honest Conversations, a new mini podcast series to examine the state of minority home ownership in America. For eight weeks starting in February, please join Housing Wire Daily each Wednesday as we aim to provide listeners with a greater perspective on how race, housing, and wealth intersect and what experts are doing to close the home ownership gap. Hello, Housing Wire listeners. Today, I'm joined with Monique Winston, the Vice President and a National Business Development Executive and Chair Diversity and Inclusion Council member at WFG National Title Insurance Company. Thanks for joining us on Housing Wire Daily. Well, thank you very much. Of course. Listeners, Monique has more than 24 years of C-suite executive, legal, and operations experience in the financial services arena, concentrating in the area of title insurance. As a nationally renowned minority business advocate, she also focuses on inclusion and development of women and minorities in business and as homeowners. Monique, can you tell us more about your background and how you entered the housing finance sector? Well, sure. And I must admit, it was not the trajectory that I saw myself Um, taking, but I have actually been in the title industry for a little over 26 years now. And ironically, I didn't anticipate getting into the title industry or anything real estate related upon graduating from law school. You know, I tried a few things, but after taking an opportunity um, at Lender Services, actually in Pittsburgh, I found that the practice of title and real estate was much different than what I had experienced from an educational perspective. So, you know, I tell people all the time when I was in law school, I literally did not like any class that had to do with real estate or finance mm-hmm. or anything of the sort. But, you know, once I got into the practice of it, I I found that there was um, kind of diversity of opportunity, I'll say, 
meaning that within one company, I could work in various areas. So for example, I could work in legal, I could work in title operations, I could work in closings, process improvement, executive level management. And literally that's, you know, what I did. And I found, to me, I found an industry that was as versatile as the law degree that I had. So, you know, again, I guess they, we always say I stumbled, you stumble into the industry and then you never, you never get out. (laughs) Monique, as I mentioned prior, you're nationally renowned as a minority business advocate. You're also the president of the Cleveland Realist, a local chapter of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. As a minority housing advocate and a chief diversity officer, what does your work often entail? Well, as an advocate specifically for and I'm going to say Black just to be more specific, but as an advocate for Black home ownership and opportunity, a lot of the initiatives and organizations that I'm involved in really focus on um, empowering, educating, and uplifting African Americans in terms of home ownership, business, and real estate. So Just by way of example, as you mentioned, I am the president of the Cleveland Realtors Association, which is the local chapter of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, also known as NARAB. And as a national organization, NARAB is the oldest real estate trade organization and it dates back to 1947. So overall, Um, The mission is to promote democracy and housing. So, of course, that means focusing on increasing the rate of home ownership for African-Americans, but not just, you know, not just for the sake of ownership, but really because of how it can enhance your life and literally change generational cycles. Um, We also focus on making sure there is legislation in support of our mission so whether they, whether we are advocating fair housing initiatives or preventing predatory lending practices, or even um, some things that are not so overt, such as you know the impact of student loan debt on students of color, or you know twenty first century redlining tactics, you know in any in any event, legislative advocacy is a big part of what we do. And I think another thing is promoting um, industry-related careers is also an important part of the puzzle. You know, it's important that we help inform future generations about just all the career possibilities in the industry. You know, when NARAB was actually founded, part of the issue was that African-American real estate professionals were excluded from NAR. So they really had no choice Um, at that time, but to create a vehicle that could, you know, advance causes associated with real estate. And so that's real estate professionals, that's consumers, that's the community. So I guess in essence, that's really what, for me, advocating for Black home ownership and opportunity looks like. 
All right, Monique, as we discuss diversity, whether we're talking about at the corporate level or normal people, we have to touch on minority homeownership in general. Um, recent findings from the U.S. Census Bureau indicates while the COVID-19 pandemic and economic turmoil have impacted the financial well-being of many Americans, data shows the U.S. home ownership rate rose in the fourth quarter of 2020 from the same period of last year. However, while the rate reached a record high for white homeowners coming in at 74.5%, the rate for black homeownership sank to the lowest level since the first quarter of 2020 at 44.1%. Monique, what are some factors that could have contributed to this decline? You mentioned redlining, predatory lending, but what do you think is contributing to this and why is the racial gap just this large? Well, okay, so you're probably going to have to cut me off because now you're really in my wheelhouse, but let me just, before I answer that part, let me just point out some perspective really as it relates to the statistics that you that, that you just gave. Mm-hmm. So I think actually, before we even look at the statistics that you gave for 2020, if we really wanna get a true perspective of what this looks like, we have to go a little bit back to 19 and step forward. So I think you mentioned that the fourth quarter of 2020 um, saw a decline in the rate of black home ownership Um, And it actually did. It was down from like 47% in third quarter to 44% in the fourth quarter. But you know, what's really interesting, if you look at 2019, so let's say, for example, the second quarter of 2019, the rate of home ownership for Blacks was 40.6% in the third quarter of 2019. And then like right around 42.7 or 43% for the fourth quarter. So those numbers are even lower than the numbers you're quoting for 2020. And it's kind of ironic because those numbers actually rival the same type of numbers that we were seeing even before the passage of the Fair Housing Act. So really what that means is that those numbers in 2019 are the same for a period of time when it was actually, you know, legal to discriminate. So I I say all that to say is because sometimes we look at it and you're talking about, you know, the decline from the first quarter to the fourth quarter of 2020, but, you know, just look at where we were in 2019. And while the rates did climb in 2020, we really have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt to me because you know, despite COVID-19, our industry did really, really well in 2020. And so we know that, you know, a rising tide rides all ships. So the real measure has to be the gap between white and black home ownership, you know, as you mentioned. Um, But when we talk about um, some of the reasons why, um, that probably, you know, you and I could probably have a whole nother segment and go real deep on that. But there's something that we call SHIBA, which stands for the State of Housing in Black America. And it's actually a report that comes out every year. And while I guess everyone knows about some of the surface barriers, SHIBA really dives into some of the the real things and the real components. So things such as, you know, I'm going to use the word that people probably, some people find a little bit controversial, but there's some systematic and intentional components that really have had a historical um, significance. You know, we're talking about things that go back to racist laws and 
lending practices in real estate. We talk about discriminatory housing policies and practices of the past and present, but they actually still hurt a lot of black families and their ability to you know, build generational wealth. Again, these are things that people really don't like to talk about, but they often want to point to sort of the effect of it and kind of label that as the cause. But really, you know, there are past practices, you know, of government and the real estate industry that has really had a significant contribution, you know, on what we see today, you know, whether they were race restrictive covenants or federal subsidy laws in the 1930s that created, you know, restrictive areas, whether they were Jim Crow. So you can, you know, you can outlaw all of that, but it won't necessarily deal with the impact. And I think that's the part, I have a friend that always says, you know, a good, a good head start beats a fast runner any day. So, you know, if you think about that, that has a significant impact. And even if we bring it forward today, we probably don't see as many as the, of those systematic things, but you see things probably on a more, a more personal and individual level. So all of these things I think contribute to the low rate of black home ownership. Um, but let me be clear, I guess I'd rather do this. Let me be clear for the record. I am not at all eliminating or excusing, you know, anything that has to do with someone's lack of personal responsibility, I guess. But what I'm saying is that these other barriers are just that they're barriers that are sometimes insurmountable. And so, you know, the biggest way to build generational wealth is through home ownership. So, you know, if that option isn't there, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, so I guess that was a real long way around your question. <laughs> but as you can see, that topic right there is just a real, a real passion of mine. And I just really believe in having those frank and open conversations. Mm -hmm. Well, that's perfect. It leads me to the next question. Well, we've discussed reasons as to why the racial homeownership gap persists today, but I want to focus on what the industry is doing now to close the gap. In 2020 alone, several companies created diversity and inclusion roles, as well as committees tasked with addressing the issue. What are some initiatives or programs WFG or NARAP have launched? And that, that's true. You know, so many organizations created DE&I vehicles, and I'm not sure that a lot of the DEI diversity equity and inclusion vehicles were directly tied to addressing the rate of home ownership or even the racial wealth gap although i suppose that the more sophisticated policies and initiatives and the more advanced organizations could address that i think in 2020 um a lot of companies and people, quite frankly, found themselves in a position where they really had no choice but to acknowledge the existence of an uneven playing field. And I think in doing that, you then want to, you want to do something, right? You want to have an outward manifestation of, you know, this like renewed revelation. So I think a lot of the DE&I initiatives and policies and practices were in many cases a, a first step towards saying, okay, what can I do to make a difference or what can I do to make a change? Um, but however, in terms of like some concrete steps and initiatives, I'll use NARAP for example. So NARAP through its many chapters all across the nation um, 
we not just in 2020, but since 1947 have put various things in place. Um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier, there's the SHIBA report, which stands for State of Housing in Black America. Mm -hmm. And that comes out every year and it really, it delivers data, right? Real true data, because you can't really address any of the issues that we're talking about if you don't know they exist and you don't know the real impact. So that SHIBA report, which is published on a website, on the website, is one of the things that kind of undergirds a lot of the things that we do every year because it provides real true data, whether you're talking about lending practices by specific institution, whether you're talking about home ownership rates and literally on a nationwide level. Um, another thing is something called 2M and 5, and that's an ongoing initiative, and it seeks to really create, and I said 2M and 5 because it stands for 2 million new Black homeowners in five years, mm -hmm. and underneath that, you have all types of things that we deal with to reach that goal. So if the ultimate goal to make a difference is to create 2 million new Black homeowners in five years, you know, there's things we have to do. There's legislative and advocacy efforts, you know, which means making sure, for example, this new administration is aware of some of the things that we need to see in place. Um, it means advocating for fair lending and credit practices. Um, it also means education and teaching, you know, within our community, because, you know, people need to know what it takes to make these dreams of home ownership a reality. It includes, you know, financial literacy. So um, NARAB not only has local realtors chapters all over the country, but we also have affiliates like NID housing counseling agencies, which are HUD approved counseling agencies, and they focus on that educational component. And then we have the Young Realtors Division, which focuses on our youth and millennials, because we definitely know that they are the future. And then we even have, again, in order to reach that goal, we even have faith-based initiatives because we realize that the churches and other faith-based institutions play such a a big, you know, a big role in our community. So those are just some of the things that NARAB has done. And, you know, earlier we were talking about DE&I initiatives and being aware and just wanting to make sure you're on the right side of things and that you have an, an, an environment that is inclusive for all. So even at WFG, you know, we have a diversity and inclusion council. And again, in everything that we do, we just want to make sure that we are making everyone, whether you're talking about race or gender or age, just making sure everybody feels in inclusive. Mm -hmm. Well, those programs I'm sure are very helpful to a lot of people that may not know exactly about the homeownership process or just need more information about their own personal journey as they home buy or purchase a home. Monique, my last question for you today is, we're conducting this interview during Black History Month and given the racial, political and social, social tension that heightened in 2020, this year feels a little different to me. Um, as we wrap today, is there anything you'd like to speak on about what this month means to you or what it can mean for our industry at large? Hmm. Right. It is Black History Month, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, for me, 
Black History Month and Black History in general kind of has a few components, okay? So, you know, one, it's an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity for everyone, not just Black people, but for everyone to reflect upon the accomplishments of Black people and look at it from the lens of history, okay? What are some of the contributions? But not only that, then to reflect on these accomplishments, and many of them were made despite historical struggles in inequities that existed. So, you know, once we acknowledge them and reflect on them, you know, it's really about moving beyond that and, and educating everyone so that we all have that same knowledge base. I think when you, when you know a person's worth and when people know their own worth, I think things change. I think when, when I know who I am and what I bring to the table, I carry myself differently. Mm-hmm. And when you know when someone sees you from a different perspective or they see what you bring to the table, you know, maybe they'll begin to look at you differently and treat you differently. So sometimes it's just a matter of having that acknowledgement and it changes not just the Black community, but also, you know, other communities who are now more aware of those contributions. You know, what what are you doing today sometimes is the other component that comes to mind for me. You know, I look at it from the perspective of sort of Black history in action. You know, what are you doing today to make a difference? You know, what are you doing that is having an impact on the community at large, you know, perhaps as an industry, we start by just taking a look inward, right? Look at all the statistics that we talked about today. So, you know, you can't just look at black history as, you know, a thing of the past and the accomplishments, but what are you doing to change and impact the quality of life today? You know, some of those statistics that you and I talked about you know, they're, they're not good. They're, you know, they're horrible. So clearly with those numbers and the numbers we're seeing, there's definitely, you know, work that needs to be done. And I think we have to start looking at Black history, not just in February, but all year round from that perspective, Black history in action. What are we doing? We spoke a lot about um, home ownership, but I cannot remember where I was reading this, probably, um, some information that NARAB had put out, but the very latest or most recent Census Bureau data indicated that fewer than 6% of all real estate professionals were Black as compared to, I want to say like 75% who were white and, you know, maybe like eight or 9% who were Hispanic. So, you know, now we're talking about, um, from a professional standpoint. So if you look at things like that, there are so many things that we can do as an industry by taking a look inward and trying to change some of those numbers and change that trajectory somewhat. And you know, some people may say that doesn't have anything to do with black history. And I was like, yes, it's history in action. Well, that's what I call it anyway. Well, Monique, I love that history in action. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today on Housing Wire Daily. Uh, you provided us with some really insightful information. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, you know, like I said, this is definitely an area that's a passion of mine. 
you know, 365 days of year. And I really, you know, I'm fortunate one to have an opportunity to work for a company that w like WFG that is open and you know doesn't shy away from conversations that'll help people and employees grow. And just for all the other roles that I'm involved in, whether they're you know NARAB or my role with the Urban League, et cetera. So I thank you for the opportunity for letting me talk about what I love and my passion. I appreciate that. Of course, thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you. All right. And listeners, we'll see you here tomorrow. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.